Have you ever realized how much marketing and truth gets thrown our way on a regular basis? A study shows that the average American receives nearly 5,000 ads on a daily basis. That means five different things asking you to buy this product, believe in this way, this will make your life better, maybe it'll make your life easier. And if you're like me, at some point, don't you just get a little skeptical of everything to some degree or another? Like, let me, let me give you an example. You, have, you ever notice how every dental product is recommended by nine out of 10 dentists? This toothpaste, this toothbrush, this flossing mechanism, nine out of 10 dentists highly recommend this product. And my question is, who's the 10th guy who never seems to get on board, right? So I did a quick Google search and, and I found it's this guy. Right? All these other nine dentists, they're smiling, they're showing you their white sparkly teeth, but this guy, that's the tent that does not ever recommend one of those products. You ever see those uh, flex tape commercials? Right? The, the infomercial of, of that tape that can seal and, and, and just kind of, uh, you can cut something in half and then put this tape and it just magically makes it like it was brand new. There's this one scene in which they cut a hole out of a boat and then they throw this like piece of plastic and then seal it with some tape and then it shows him driving over some sharks. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really mess with sharks to begin with. I'm certainly not going to trust some tape that's keeping me from life or death. Just, that's just me. I don't know about you. I probably wouldn't go for that one. They say that uh, most hand sanitizer kills 99.9% .9 of germs. But what if that 0.1% is the 0.1% of germs that's going to take me out? Right? You ever think about that? Like, it kills all of the germs, but that one germ out of the thousand is the one to end your life. You know, why couldn't you just kill all 100%? How does that one germ still survive? They say that uh, 15 minutes or less could save you 15% or more on car insurance. <laughs> My guess is they try to keep you on the phone for more than 15 minutes, but is there a direct correlation that maybe if you spend 100 minutes, can you save 100% on car insurance? There's a lot of marketing, and there's a lot of truth that comes our way on a regular basis. And sometimes it gets to this point where it's hard to decipher what's true and what's genuine. I mean, all you got to do is spend some time scrolling through social media this afternoon, and you'll see a lot of different truths being lived out. Listen to your heart. Put yourself first. Figure out the rest later. Well, what's right for me doesn't necessarily have to be right for you. You, you, can, you can always just, you just deserve better, that, that if you want, you can be Batman. Like, I don't, I don't know what the truth that you guys see on your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instagram, but there's a lot floating out there. And at some point, we have to make a decision. What is it that I believe? What is it that I hold dear to as truth in my life? You see, as the church and as disciples, we began to realize that some of this truth in the world, it kind of meshes together and some of it butts heads and contradicts what we're called to believe. See, because we're called to believe in a truth different than what the world has to offer. I think most of us would say that we are called to believe in what is true and that will in effect change what we it's kind of what this series through the book of Titus is all about, is how we are called to believe, to act, and to live differently than the world around us. 
So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus. If you bring your Bible with you or if you pull it up on the app on your phone or tablet, uh, just a way to get ahead before you even get here, just find the book of Titus every single week for the next three weeks. Uh, The book of Titus uh, is found in the New Testament. The Bible is split into two major portions. The Old Testament, which is the story of the ancient Israelite people, God's chosen people to be the hope of the world. They continually mess that up over and over again, and it paints this large narrative of how we need a savior to come and rescue us back into a relationship with God. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. They tell us the story about the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, and so the rest of the New Testament points back to that Gospel that Jesus is our only Lord and Savior. The book of Titus is found near the back of Scripture. There's a bunch of books that start with T. There's 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then you run into Titus. Over the next three weeks, we would love for you to uh, read the entire letter, the epistle of Titus for yourself along with us as a body, as a church. We're actually, uh, hopefully you got one of these bookmarks uh, passed out to you when you came in. Maybe it's in one of the seat backs in front of you. That over the next three weeks, uh, there are passages to read Monday through Thursday. On the back side, there are questions for you to apply that scripture to your life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one of our pastors will jump on Facebook and do a uh, little devotional to help you follow along. And on, uh, uh, on the bookmark, you can actually go to this, our church website, fcc-online.org uh, uh, forward slash different. You can download that bookmark, you can share it with somebody, and there's also a very helpful background video about the book of Titus that we recommend you checking out. And so the, the book of Titus is, is kind of important for us to understand because of where we live today. Now, one of the things we have to remember about Scripture is that Scripture was not written to us specifically. That the passages of Scripture were always written to a specific audience for a specific reason, but the Bible is also written for us. And so the book of Titus, it's a letter written by this guy by the name of Paul. And Paul was a missionary, and he was going on these journeys. And he went to a new city, he went to a new country, and when he would go into these towns, he would preach the gospel message. And as people began to give their life to Jesus, to take steps in the life of discipleship, then he would gather up these disciples, they would start a church, and then he would go on to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And in this particular context, Paul has just left the island of Crete. And what begins to happen is the the Cretan leaders began to inconspicuously kind of work their way into the leadership of the church. And what they do is they're actually kind of tweaking and distorting the gospel truth. Because what the Cretans begin to do is they begin to say that, well, you know that whole notion of following Jesus? You know that truth, the gospel that we hold dear to? What they were saying is you can claim it. You can say it, but what you actually do, it doesn't really matter. They were pulling apart one's beliefs and one's behavior. And so Paul begins to hear about this, and he writes back to Titus, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, no, 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 that, 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 that is not the case. That is not true, because there is an inseparable link between our faith and our actions, that our beliefs should 100% affect our behaviors. And so Paul uses this phrase, so Titus, teach people to do what is good, not to say that you earn your salvation, not that you are saved by good works, rather you are saved to do good works because of Jesus in us. 
So he begins to instruct Titus, find some leaders, set up some deacons, some elders, correct the truth, steer the church back to where it needs to be. Why? Because we as the church and we as disciples, ultimately we are called to be different. That we're called to be different. We're called to believe in different things and we're called to live differently than the world around us. So before we spend the next two weeks looking at how our actions and our purpose in life is different, we need to lay the foundation of how that starts with what we believe and hold on to as truth. Titus chapter one, starting in verse one, follow along with me. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, it's important, promised before the beginning of time. And so, so Paul begins his letter to Titus, and he's saying, so for this reason, uh, that, that there's this, this, this truth that, that we need to understand. And he says that the knowledge of truth should be leading to godliness. He's kind of calling out some Christians, and he's calling some Christians up in their lackadaisical manner. So he's looking at some Christians, and he's saying, all right, guys, let's, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's bring it back together. Let's huddle up here. And he's saying that some of us, you guys know what you ought to do. Some of you know what you are called to do in this life, that the truth, the gospel has transformed your life. And so, so you need to just live that out on a day-to-day, regular basis. But then he's looking at some of the other Christians, some of the fake leaders who had risen during this time, and he's calling them out, saying, but those of you who are tweaking the truth, you're actually lying. You're making this out to be different than it is. And so, so Paul begins to say that we serve a God, we have a God who does not lie. Now, if you're like me, that's kind of an interesting characteristic of God to pull out, isn't it? Of all the things that God is, why specifically say God does not lie? Well, it's directly to the context that they were living in. You see, the the Greek word kretso back then would mean to be a liar. So if, if you were a liar, someone would come up and call you a kretso. Its definition literally means to be a cretin. So the culture and the society that Titus and those people of that church lived in was filled with liars. A culture of lies, unsavory, dishonest gain, trying to infiltrate the beliefs of the church. Fun little fact about the Cretans during this time is that they actually believed that Zeus, the god of thunder, was at one point a Cretan man. And so they're lying. It went, it went so far that they began to believe and tell other people, well, you know Zeus, the god of thunder, who just reigns over everything, the most powerful Greek god that there is? Well, yeah, he was actually one of us, and he just got sick and tired of being a man, and so he just decided to become a god. This was the, the culture and the society. This is the Cretos that were just surrounding every single disciple during this time. Now, we don't really have anybody probably in the Champaign-Urbana area who worships Zeus, do we? (laughs) But isn't there a lot of false gods and idols trying to give us false truth, false meaning, false fulfillment? The God of success, 
promises the truth of fulfillment. The God of money promises the truth of security. The God of appearance promises the truth of self-worth. The God of busyness promises the truth of importance. So it begins to start here. Who are you going to listen to? The Cretos all around you or the truth from the God who does not lie? Because what you think, what you believe, and what you hold on to as truth inevitably becomes what you do. Because we cannot disassociate what we believe and how we behave. Therefore, Titus, find some leaders, find some men. Establish elders to run, govern, protect the church. And so for us, what we can read this is during this time that they were void of leadership. And so Paul is writing to Titus, Titus, find some spiritual leaders to guide and protect your flock. And for us, we can also read into it saying that this is an example of a disciple living out their mature faith. Picking up in verse 5, this is what Paul says to Titus. He says, so the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Some of us start sweating at that point. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So Paul, he writes to Titus and he says, so this is why you need some, some leadership. You need some people who can protect the truth, who can care and guide and shepherd the people of God, the church, the flock as it's called. Because if the truth is not stable, the actions the mission, the vitality of that church will also be unstable. Now, did you notice kind of the, uh, the qualifications that Paul encouraged Titus to find? It's all things of character. Because character is what matters most when it comes to living as a disciple for being a spiritual leader. This is... Titus didn't get, didn't get this. He didn't say, all right, uh, Titus, you need some leaders. Find the guys who own their own businesses. Find the people who make over 75 grand because we know money plays. Find, find, find the people who uh, have high IQs, the ones who have at least uh, a master's degree or higher. Find the ones who, you know, they can, they can smooth talk deals or, 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 or they can tell funny jokes and they can really just, just get people to do things. He doesn't say any of that. He says, find people where it's evidence that the gospel has transformed their everyday life. Find leaders 
who are of the highest character, who want to do one thing and one thing above all else, and that is to protect the truth for the sake of the congregation. Paul basically charges Timothy with this. Find men who understand that the gospel produces godliness in everyday life. Find leaders, find people who understand that the gospel transforms our everyday life. Not fakers, not imitators, not people who can put on a fresh face once a week or once a month. Find mature disciples. And I think this is an encouragement for all of us. That the gospel produces godliness in our everyday life. So whether you call yourself an elder, a pastor, whether your spot on the team is holding doors, making coffee, teaching kids or students about the love and the gospel of Jesus, regardless of your spot on the team, is godliness being produced in your everyday life because of the gospel. He didn't say find perfect people. He didn't say find sinless people, but find disciples who take the call to be the disciple as true north of their life. Because don't we all get a little irritated when someone's beliefs and their actions don't match? Maybe, maybe you know somebody that you work with or maybe somebody you, you spend time with. They, they say one thing, they're a lot of talk and no walk. And so the encouragement is, is find people who have, who have taken the, the truth of the gospel and applied it to their lives and their character shows. Paul, Paul is even known for saying this. He says, I know the things I should be doing, but I don't do them. And I know the things I shouldn't be doing, and I end up doing those things. It's not a blanket call to say that's an okay way of living, but rather it's a passion of his heart that I want the truth of the gospel to transform me. Because I think a lot of us, we begin to tune people out. We begin to change the channel of someone's life when what they say they believe to be true doesn't match what they do. Now, the hope that we have is that Jesus has said, I've taken care of that. That my love for you as my church and my disciples is not dependent on your work, but mine. But I have given you my spirit to live in you so that this foundational truth can well up like the spring of life. See, as the church and as disciples, we are called not to be the, the morality police, but to believe in a truth different from what the world seems to be offering, a truth that drastically impacts who we are and what we do. That's why those men were qualified. So look at what they were called to do after that, picking up in verse 10. He says, for there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that is for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. And will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. 
I love how one scholar puts describing the responsibility of elders. He put it this way. He said that elders are appointed to protect the truth, to steer the flock, and to clean up the chaos when it inevitably ensues. So let me just spend just a couple seconds here to talk about our elders. Our elders are phenomenal men. Men of the highest character who meet the qualifications laid out in this passage. And over the past few years, they have cleaned up a lot of chaos. They have protected the truth and they continue to steer the flock to where God wants us to go next. And so to our past elders, to our current elders, and to our future elders, I believe that we all as the church can say we are eternally grateful for your leadership and how you shepherd us as God's people. Because here's the thing that's interesting. If the Cretans kind of came in and, and they, they made some big sweeping changes, it's easy to throw the, the challenge flag, right? If, if these Cretan leaders came in and said, all right, church, here's the thing. Uh, you guys know that Jesus guy that you put faith in? Just go ahead and forget him. He's really not important. He's not really valuable. Just kind of, just kind of get rid of that. And instead, why don't you just pray and worship Zeus instead? Sound good? The church would be like, uh, false, wrong. We know that's not true. But the reason they crept their way in is because they were making these itty-bitty, tiny little tweaks and changes. You know this gospel that's called to transform your life, to produce good fruit in your life? We don't actually need to worry about that. Just one tiny, small, little change. What difference could it make? Let me give you an example here. Say you were boarding a plane at JFK. And you were on a flight path all the way across country to LAX. So when that plane would be leaving, it would have a particular flight plan. It would need to leave at a specific degree in order to land at that airport. If that plane leaves JFK one degree off from where it needs to be, by the time it reaches touchdown, it would not be in Los Angeles. It would not be in the state of California. It'd be 40 miles into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Would you hop on that plane? Captain hops on and says, hey guys, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do 99% of the right direction. And all, all of us say, okay, that's pretty good, 99 out of 100. That's really good. Cool, cool, cool. And so we're about to touch down. Uh, if you're sitting next to a guy who likes to do CrossFit, you're going to want to buddy up with him because we're landing 40 miles into the middle of the ocean and you're going to need to paddle your way back to shore. Sound good? Cool. All right. We'll see you when we get there. A lot of us would be like, hold up. That 1% becomes so important. Find men, be disciples who protect the truth. Because even the smallest change can lead you to an ocean of despair. So what is this truth? What is this gospel that elders are called to protect, that pastors are called to preach, and that disciples were called to live by? It's this. So that you and I are sinners. We are broken. We have made mistakes. 
and that sin has separated us from God. But God, out of his great love, compassion, mercy, and grace, has established a way for us to be reunited with him, to be rescued from the wrath of our sin through the work of his son, Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. That anyone who professes faith in the work of Christ, in the work of Christ alone, not only has an eternal seat next to God for all of eternity, but that promise lives in us now. As a result, we have one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism that unites us together. That the Son of God, who lived a surrendered life, should lead us to a life of living surrendered. That is the foundation That is the truth, that is the gospel that we stand on as this church. It doesn't mean your life will be easy. It doesn't mean your life will be perfect. It doesn't mean all of your problems will magically go away. In fact, sometimes it means hard decisions and choices have to be made. Chaos will ensue. Brokenness will still run rampant. We still fall to our temptations but by the blood of Jesus, we are made new and that hope is ours for forever. That truth is for anyone. That truth is for everyone. And that truth is only through one. And that one is Jesus. Paul's point to Titus why this is important to set a foundation of what you believe. It's because we need to be different. Believe different. Because what you hold on to as truth, what is the foundation in your life, will affect how you live. Because before you can live different from the world, you must first believe different. That before you can love God, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you need to believe that Jesus has done that first. Before you can love your neighbor as yourself, you must first believe that everyone is equally loved and valuable in the eyes of God. That before you can forgive people have wronged you, before you can forgive 70 times, seven times, you must believe that you are wholly forgiven by the work of Jesus. That before you can live different, you must first believe different. Because if you don't live different, no matter what you say, no matter what you claim, you might not actually believe different. Chapter one of Titus makes a shift at the very end. It goes from being very practical to this poetic theological stance on this point. As we move to a time of response this morning, listen to these words that Paul leaves with Titus. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit 
for doing anything good. So we move to a time of response this morning. I want to give a shout out to Jared Prince. He's our Urbana location pastor who turned me on to this illustration. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know what this is. I usually just call it like the movie clapper thing that makes a cool noise. That's just what I go by about uh, by it. It's actually called a clapboard. And I'm not a creative guy. I don't really make videos and that type of stuff. And so I was always curious about why this, why we have these things. And at first I always thought like, oh, it's because, okay, cool, let's start filming. But if you ever watch like outtakes or how they edit movies or videos or shows, um, what you'll see is like they're actually filming the whole time. And so what is this actually used for? Well, it's because they use two different devices to create the content that you're absorbing. That they use one camera to pick up what you are seeing and they use another device to pick up the sound that you're hearing. And so where this comes into play is the, the director who, the, the clapper board person, the only thing that I could do on a movie set is they go in front of the, of the, of the camera and they, and that singular noise sets the foundation to sync up what you're hearing and what you're seeing. You ever watched a video where the, the sound is just a little bit off? Have you ever tried watching a, a, a video where what you were hearing was like just like a half second delayed? Just a, just a tiny bit, one, one degree delayed. It drives you nuts, doesn't it? It's, it's slightly, and we're not talking about some of those like, like cheesy martial arts, like where they're dubbing over stuff. We're talking like they're speaking English, you know the person, and it's just slightly off. Their mouth finishes moving and words are still coming out. It's enough that you can put up with it for a little while, but then at some point, because it doesn't match, because it's not synced up, you just, you, you, you just, you just get rid of it. You're so frustrated, you're so irritated, you, you just kind of say, That's, I'm going to watch something else. I'm going to tune into something else. So Paul, he writes to Titus. Make sure the church that that truth matches up to what you do. Because we don't want the world to tune us out. We don't want the world to change its channel. And the only thing that can set them free from the weight of their sin. If we go around and what they see us doing does not match what they hear us claiming, it's only a matter of time until they change the channel. Until they find a different truth. Until they find something else to believe in. What we say, what we believe, what we hold dear as truth needs to match how we live in this life. So that when we say that the gospel is for anyone and everyone, we don't dare do anything that would say anything different. 
And when we believe that the church is the hope of the world and the way in which we share that love, that gospel, that good news is by making a difference, not inside just these walls, but outside of these walls. And so when we're called to go to our friends, go to our coworkers, go to our neighborhoods, our our workplaces to make a difference, it's because what we say and what we believe matches what we do. The beauty in this is, I think we can all agree, I know I can confidently say this, that I don't have this perfectly. Not everything that I say or do perfectly matches up. I make mistakes, I fall short, I give into temptation, that's the hope that Jesus has given to us. That is the truth that he's instilled in our hearts. It doesn't compel me to do, to be more distinct. It, It compels me to be more synced because if I view Jesus as the ultimate surrendered life and he calls me to live for that kingdom, how can I live in a way that is different so that people want to know Perhaps the most different action of all time was the way in which Jesus willingly gave of himself. God said, I'm going to create a different truth than what the world has to offer, and that's that I love you, I care for you, that you are mine. All you have to do is believe that my son, that his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave three days later, that good news, that gospel, that hope, establishes you with me forever. So this morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate that together. One Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism, and one chance to remember what Jesus has done. And so as the band continues to lead us in worship, they're going to play a couple more songs. And Whenever you're ready, whenever you feel led, if you have said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to visit one of our communion stations throughout the room. It's these tables with the little candles on them. And at this table, there's a little cracker that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you and a little cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was spilt for you. During this time of response, you could come forward and there's these prayer benches here at the front of the stage. Maybe you want to kneel in prayer to God. Whatever may be on your heart, whatever may be troubling your life, know that God is here because he is with you because his spirit lives with all those who believe. So would you stand with me this morning? I will pray as we continue to respond in worship. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love and mercy. God, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away that, that even when our lives don't match, you still find a way to use us. May that never be an excuse, but rather may it be a chance for us to really remember the life that you have called us to. That you have not just called us out of a life of sin, but you have called us up to live in unity with you. And God, our prayer for this church is that we are thankful for the men 
and the leaders that you have established who protect that truth, who steer this flock, who chase down the chaos when it inevitably tries to creep its way in from all of those false gods, all of those false truths, all of those false teachings. May you continue to protect us with your truth found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. God, we love you. Even when our words and actions don't match. May we be disciples. May we be followers of your son, Jesus, that are worth watching. It's your name that we pray. Amen.